Hello and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast. My name is Dr. Benjamin Browning and as we get started I would encourage you to like, share, and leave a review on this podcast. It helps the channel out. Also, you can purchase my book called Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament. It really helps us out. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we are going to be doing the fourth and final episode of my interview with Dr. Jonathan Patterson. I hope you enjoy. So I'm going to change gears here and maybe go a little more general. Uh, and we'll see how, how long we can talk about this. We're going to go a little more general. And I'm just going to ask you kind of general intertextuality questions. For those mm. that don't know what I mean when I say intertextuality, uh, that is when we have the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. So up to this point, we've spoken about uh, kind of general concepts or stories or ideas from the Old Testament and how those are reflected in the New Testament. But we have not specifically dived in to uh, how the New Testament writers use the Old Testament. <laughs> so this can be, uh, for those familiar with New Testament studies, this can be a very complex highly debated area the mm -hmm. new testament used the old testament or intertextuality um and there's like different camps kind of involved in this so i'm gonna direct the question towards you so when you read new testament quotes or references to the old testament what are the most challenging issues that arise for you as an old testament scholar and give feel free to give examples all right so you know, we've been talking about, uh, you know, the Old Testament background of the New Testament, New Testament's use of the old. Uh, and as I was thinking about this, like, I think the first thing that I wanted to address uh, is just kind of the, the, the Old Testament, New Testament dichotomy in, in general. And, and there's this idea at times that the Old Testament, for, for us as Christians particularly, uh, that the Old Testament is only significant in light of the New Testament. So, I mean, you have several different perspectives, you know, a Christological interpretation, Christocentric, a more recent uh, Christotelic uh, understanding of the Old Testament. Uh, Peter Enns is a big proponent of that one, uh, where basically you're, you're doing exactly what I, so I had a professor when I first started seminary in 2004, Dr. Walter Brown taught me Hebrew and hermeneutics that first semester. And he said, don't go looking for Jesus under every rock and stone in the Old Testament. Uh, and I feel like sometimes that's what we do as Christians, that, that we have to figure out, okay, how does this Old Testament passage have its fulfillment in Jesus? You know, how does it relate to Jesus? And if it doesn't, then it's not significant, right? Then, then we don't have to worry about that. And, and, and I agree that as Christians, we, we can and we should look to see how the Old Testament points to Jesus, how it prepares the way for the coming Messiah. But, but we also have to acknowledge that the Old Testament has meaning and significance for the Old Testament people of God uh, before the incarnation of Christ. We talked about this previously, that, that the Old Testament was 
you know, the Bible that Jesus had, right? It was the Bible for, for Paul and for Peter, James and John. Like this was their scripture. And for centuries prior to the incarnation of, of Christ, um, we had Old Testament believers, Old Testament people of God. And, and the Old Testament had significance in their lives. It had meaning. Uh, so while I would certainly say that it is true that we as Christians recognize that the, the Old Testament uh, points to has its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus in the New Testament, we have to recognize that it has some significance uh, on its own merit as well. Um, and so when we're thinking about like the New Testament author's use of the Old Testament, we're recognizing that this was their scripture, right? This was significant to them, but then they're, they're extrapolating out from that something new in some, in some instances, something that points uh, toward Jesus. And the first thing, first thing that we have to recognize is that our, our New Testament authors were divinely inspired in their right, right? We, we as Christians uh, would, would, I think, pretty much all uh, assent to the fact that the New Testament authors are divinely inspired. And yet, their hermeneutical approach to scripture is not necessarily something that we should try to emulate today. In fact, one of the axioms that, that we always teach students, that I always teach students, is that a text can't mean what it never meant, right? right. So just as, as what, what you're doing here with this podcast, looking at historical, cultural, literary contexts, that's what we try to teach our students to do in, in Old Testament, New Testament, in hermeneutics classes, uh, that we're looking for the original context of that scripture, of that particular passage, historical, cultural, uh, literary, whatever the case may be, and, and trying to read and understand that particular passage in its context. The New Testament authors don't seem to have quite as much concern for that, right? They're oftentimes pulling scriptures out and, and, and pulling them out of context. So Again, I said, you, you've got me thinking about Paul probably more than I have, like in one, you know, uh, uh, specific setting uh, for quite some time. But on two separate occasions, we have the Apostle Paul quoting Habakkuk 2 for us. So we talked about this previously as well. The righteous shall live by faith. Although Paul quotes the righteous shall live by faith, but the Hebrew actually says the righteous shall live by his faith, right? So Paul leaves out that his whatever, that's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. Um, now, the first time in, in terms of biblical books, like biblical order, Romans 117, I don't find it quite so problematic, right? In, in verse 16, he says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, you got some company there. Uh, he says yeah, he's not yeah, my daughter decided to join us. <laughs> because the gospel is, is the power of salvation to everyone who believes the righteous shall live by that by that belief, by that faith, right? So, so that one's pretty pretty simple, pretty unproblematic in in my estimation. Uh, but the second time, which is actually the the first time chronologically in Galatians, which Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure is is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, uh, of the the Pauline epistles. Yeah. Um, 
between it's between Galatians and First Thessalonians. Those, right. those will be the two camps. Right. Um, so I find I find that one a, a good bit more problematic in in Galatians three eleven. Um, so in Galatians three ten, Paul tells the Galatian church that all who rely on the words of the law are under the curse or under a curse, right? And he then cites uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So the idea is if you're relying on the law, you're not able to keep that in its entirety. So you're under the curse of Deuteronomy 27, 26, because you're not going to be able to fulfill this. You're going to be cursed. And so then in, in chapter three, verse 11, Paul's contrasting the law with faith says that no one is justified by the law for the righteous man shall live by faith. Habakkuk uh, 2, 4. And then in verse 12, he says the law is not of faith, right? Or not based on faith, depending on translation. And again, I'll have to let the, I'll have to defer to the Greek guy on, mm-hmm. on that one, um, which kind of is, is a bit interesting in light of the discussion that we had previously about, you know, is Paul's focus on uh, faith as the, the means of salvation and, and uh, righteousness, is that a rapid or a radical departure uh, from the Old Testament? Well, we said earlier that, that I don't think, I said earlier, I don't think it is. And yet here, you know, it seems like he is kind of departing from that, that, that he says the law is not of faith. So here's my conundrum in Paul's usage of Habakkuk 2.4 in Galatians 3. Do I think Paul is correct in telling the church of Galatia that they cannot, will not be justified, will not be saved through the works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely, right? Paul is confronting Judaizers in Galatians. He's concerned about people who are focusing too much on the works of the law, right? However, (laughs) the next question is, do I think that God is telling Habakkuk some 600 years before the incarnation of Christ that the Old Testament believers shouldn't be striving to keep the law, that they shouldn't rely on the words of the law? Absolutely not. Like, I don't think that's the context that Habakkuk is dealing with. So we're essentially dealing with what I like to call inspired recontextualization. So our New Testament authors are recontextualizing the words of Scripture for their contemporary audience. And and we're okay with that because we hold to the divine inspiration of the New Testament books as Scripture, right? None of us are writing Scripture. It doesn't mean that our interpretations, our understandings aren't necessarily uh, inspired by God, but we're not writing any new scripture. So that would be my first example. The next example, uh, and, and probably one of my favorites, is uh, Matthew's use of Hosea 11, verse 1. So in Hosea 11, verse 1, we get, when Israel was a young man, literally, when he was a youth, uh, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So in the context, clearly Hosea is saying, my son is synonymous with Israel. Israel was a young man, uh, Hebrew na'ar, young man, my son. So, so Israel is my son. 
Then we go to Matthew 2. And in Matthew 2, uh, we have in verse 13, the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph to warn him about Herod's plot to murder Jesus, right? To murder the child that's been born. And, he, and, and the angel instructs uh, Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt. And then in verse 15, Matthew says, this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the Lord or by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son, right? So, so we've got a couple of problematic issues here from the perspective of an historical grammatical hermeneutic uh, interpretation. First, Hosea 11.1 1 is clearly a reference to the Exodus, right? He's clearly looking back at when God brought Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. That's how Hosea's original audience would have understood it. And, and prior to Matthew's writing, that's how first century Jews and Christians would have understood it. Heck, it's probably how Paul and the, all the other apostles understood Hosea 11.1 1, as a reference to uh, God bringing Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. So that's our first issue. The second issue, Hosea is clearly referencing a historical event, something that occurred you know, five to 700 years prior to his writing, depending on uh, how we date the Exodus. He's not envisioning some future event that needs to be fulfilled, right? And yet that's what Matthew's saying, that this was, this was done to fulfill what the prophet said, out of Egypt, I called my son. So what then do we make of Matthew completely removing Hosea 11.1 from its original historical context and recontextualizing it for his purposes. When we think about the story of the Exodus, we understand that it's a story of redemption from bondage. It's a story of salvation. So within the broader salvation history of God's work in the lives of his people, Matthew understands Jesus to be the pinnacle of God's salvific work, something that God began centuries prior when he brought Israel out of Egypt, established Israel as his covenant people. Jesus now is the, the pinnacle of that work. He is the fulfillment of that work. And Matthew sees that. Matthew recognizes that. So within the context of salvation history, Jesus Christ was most certainly the, the fulfillment of what God started those many, many years ago. And so for Matthew, the historical context of Hosea's words is really of little concern because he's focused on the larger context of God's work throughout the course of human history, specifically uh, the history of Israel. What is God's salvific work that he began so many years ago in bringing Israel out of Egypt, uh, how is that fulfilled? How is that ultimately, you know, reach its zenith? It's in Jesus, right? So when God called Israel out of, of, of Egypt and calls Israel his son, Matthew sees that as foreshadowing the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, and that when Jesus was brought out of Egypt, after going down to escape uh, Herod, that Matthew sees that as, you know, this is Israel again. This is Israel reborn, essentially. Um, so we see the recontextualization. And, and again, 
we're we're okay with it because we recognize the the inspiration of our authors. But but as far as we're concerned, as far as what yeah. we do with scripture, uh, like that's why I tell my students, like it's okay for the New Testament authors to do this. It's not okay for you to do this, right? <laughs> A text can't mean what it never meant uh, unless the New Testament authors did something different with it. Um, so yeah, I man, it's one of those really, really interesting things, and and uh, you know, it's it's frustrating sometimes because you know you get students as well, you know, they can do this for their context. Why can't I do this for for my context? Um, well, you're not an apostle, right? <laughs> right. You're, yeah. You're, ideally, hopefully, we are all seeking some type of divine inspiration in our preaching and our teaching and and we're wanting God to speak to us but but we're not writing new scriptures right we're not coming up with something uh incredibly novel like our new testament authors did uh so yeah it's 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 one of those touchy things man where where you think about gosh they really did some some funky things and and there's a whole other conversation to be had about like first century jewish hermeneutics and right. and really like, you know, that's, we spend in, in hermeneutics, like we spend three or four weeks just talking about different uh, hermeneutical approaches throughout the centuries, you know, going back to first century Jewish, all the way through the medieval era, the, the Reformation, now into to modern and, and postmodern hermeneutical approaches. Uh, so like, I mean, that you talk about Hebrews and doing a podcast on Hebrews, we could probably do an entire series uh, <laughs> just on the, the history of uh, hermeneutical approaches to scripture. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's intertextuality is fun. I enjoy it, but it, it can be it can be frustrating sometimes. It is. It, it can it can be a, a bit of a quagmire and you just kind of get into it. And, you know, you bring it up, Matthew. Because he is, especially in those first those first couple chapters, he is doing so much mm -hmm. in that this idea that you have uh, this whole idea that instead of having them flee out of Egypt, you know, you have King Herod is the one trying to kill the children, not mm -hmm. Pharaoh. Right. Instead of Instead of God delivering his people out of Egypt mm -hmm. into safety, he's delivering yep. them to Egypt. Yeah. So you've got all of this. I mean, in a lot of ways, Matthew there is playing with the Old Testament narrative. He's getting very playful. Absolutely. And he's saying. As an Old Testament guy, Matthew is my favorite gospel. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. And, you know, and he's got these mo this motif of kind of a Moses, of him being uh, even greater than Moses. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have Matthew just really playing with this. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, there's a king. Uh, he's trying to kill the children. He, you know, yep. hurt God's people. I mean, yes. Like, and so when you, so that's a really helpful insight when you think about that of the Hosea passage was initially about Israel being delivered out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And you see in a lot of ways, Jesus is a stand in for Israel yeah. where he fled to Egypt for protection, but now he's coming back out of Egypt. 
And it, yeah, it, it's very, it's very powerful, very poignant, especially when you take all of what he does of, you know, you see Jesus in Matthew, you know, he even goes up on a mount and, mm-hmm. and delivers a law of sorts in the Sermon right. on the Mount. I mean, very mosaic. Uh, yep. So just Matthew and that intersection with the Old Testament, he's doing so much there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really kind of cool to, to see. I definitely get why that would be your favorite. um yeah i feel like matthew you could almost just teach through that just you know it'd be really cool to just have a discussion through that with an old testament guy like yourself just to kind of talk through because there's just so many and i think there's so many old testament um references or echoes that You, you can you can almost teach the the old testament from Matthew. I mean, certainly it's it's not as expansive, and but right. but I mean you can almost teach like this is this is what God gave to uh the Israelites, gave to Israel, and, and you can almost teach that from the book of Matthew because there is such a uh a, a, so much um, Judaism in, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um so yeah. Yeah, and that really gets, and that really gets to this idea that I think Matthew's really trying to make is, is that uh, Jesus is not something new. He's mm. instead he's writing to a Jewish audience saying, "No, Jesus is uh, the fulfillment. Jesus right. is greater. Like he, he's what we've been waiting for. Like the whole context of this Christ is um, our." you know, the revelation of God through what we call the yep. Old Testament. Um, yep. and, particu- and particularly the, the Torah. Yeah, so great stuff. Uh, yeah, man, it has been really good talking to you. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been really fun. Is man, there I've, a- I've, I've really enjoyed it, Ben. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Before I go off, is there anything you... Uh, want to plug or anything you want to put out there before we of course I know you're not I, you don't have any big writing projects going on right now but is there anything else no, you want to plug or anything? I don't have a sound cloud or anything like that to uh, <laughs> to plug um, no man I I don't uh, I don't I don't really I don't really have anything to plug um, so just yeah read the Old Testament read the Old Testament that's like, right New Testament's great. We love the New Testament. Old Testament guys love the New Testament, but read the Old Testament. I mean, it's some good stuff in there. I know it, it can is. be a little. I know it can be a little uh, laborious at times, but uh, my wife gives me a hard time about it all the time. She's like, "I'm reading through Leviticus right now." Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's good stuff. <laughs> That'd yep. be my plug. Read the Old Testament. That's the plug. Read the Old Testament. All right. Thank you for listening to the New Testament Setting Podcast. I encourage you to share this with friends, to leave a review, and also to purchase my book, Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament. It really helps the channel out.